as I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'm going to roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions. Looking at devoiding myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving because they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never going to give up, give up. Fall down, I just got to get up, get up, yeah. You're listening to the Toxic and Sean, WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's Monday, October 16th, and we're going to talk about something called biorepository. But really, uh, the underlying kind of secular message is kind of can we just give to one another, share with one another, and uh, understand that our existence here on the planet might be temporal, but we can also kind of... Uh, plant some seeds, share some of our uh, our inner being uh, with, with future generations, even after we left. How can we contribute to the future health of society, even after our, our uh, let's say, our, our transition to another plane? Uh, today, uh, Dr. Daniel Sarpong is with us, and I'm joined by Reverend Dr. Leroy, Leroy O'Perry, Jr., and Reverend Alvin Clayton. And uh, I saw Daniel, uh, Dr. Daniel Sarpong, on Saturday at a town hall event, which was really moving and really really pleased to be able to kind of <clears throat> build the momentum from that town hall on on uh the office of equity research and at Yale that he's involved with actually more than being involved he's the executive director um uh dr dr sarbong i mean I, I looked at his resume it would take about 40 minutes for me to read everything but senior research scientist uh uh executive director of the office of health equity and research as i mentioned uh, and he's just been so much involved in in New Orleans and and Jackson, Mississippi, and in Ghana about what does not only just health in your neighborhood, health in your church, health health in your home, but health globally. What does that mean? So he has a, a worldwide approach. But we're pleased to have him here in New Haven as executive director of the Office of Health Equity Research um, in our in our backyard. So it's just a blessing, Daniel. Good morning. It's just such a blessing to have you have you in our midst. Good morning and thank you for having me. It's truly a pleasure and an honor. So let, let's, um, you know, Reverend Dr. Leroy O'Perry, as you know, is on the, is with us and Reverend Clayton and, and Reverend Perry is a pastor of St. Stephen's Amy Zion Church and, and cultural ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program and as well as Reverend Elvin Clayton is with us, pastor of Walters Memorial Amy Zion Church and cultural ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program. But, but Daniel, tell us, um, um, kick us off. It, uh, why, 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 why are we here this morning in terms of your your, your mission and passion and, and your initiative? Uh, start, tell us a little bit about about yourself and your professional background and, and how you uh, came to be came to be in our midst. Thank you. Uh, well, I have a very humble beginning. I grew up in Ghana. I was born and raised in Ghana, and I migrated to the U.S. in '84 to further my education. Uh, doing a master's in mathematics, and later on went to get a PhD in biostatistics. And I taught at Dillard uh, Xavier University, and the opportunity came for me to go and work with the Jackson Heart Study, which is the largest single epidemiological study that was exam that's examining the reasons why African-Americans are disproportionately affected by cardiovascular disease. Mm. and how the disease also progressed. Um, 
The reason being that, you know, at the time in the late, early 2000, the trend for cardiovascular disease was going down for all segments of the country, but the rates were going up in Mississippi. So mm. the question, NIH felt that there was a need for us to investigate why that was the case. You say and NIH, I, the, the National Institutes of Health, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I was then an associate professor at uh, Xavier University in the College of Pharmacy, tenured professor, and I said, well, I think I'm going to roll my sleeves and go and work with the Jackson Heart Study because this mm. is an important work. So mm. I gave up tenure and then went to take a staff position as a senior biostatistician. And that's when I also started to do community engagement because we would crank the numbers in the daytime and we'll be at the churches and events on the weekends and in the evenings at the mm -hmm. churches trying to explain why it was important for people to be involved in the study. And so boots on the ground, I got involved in community engagement. Uh, Xavier recruited me back after spending 13 years with Jackson State, 10 years with the Jackson Heart Study to direct the Center for Minority Health and Health Disparities, which I did eight years. Mm. And as Lord had it, I'm here in, um, uh, in New Haven, um, but I was excited when I first came in November of 2021 to visit after I had accepted the offer and just having uh, Maurice uh, Williams drive me around. I mm. got excited because I said, well, there's work to be done and I'm excited to be here to at least make a little contribution. So, uh, well, Daniel, let, let, let me dig into something that you said because it really intrigues me. And Reverend Clayton and, and Reverend uh, Perry, please be, feel feel free to jump in. But uh, what was the what was the attraction when you got when you heard when when Neil contact, contacted you initially, or even you know it might have been more than one one initial proposal? I'm just intrigued because uh, you you were on a stellar platform in other towns. I mean, you you came this this little old place. So I was curious, what, what caused you to feel that would kind of kind of add to your resume? Not that you needed any adding to your resume, but what was the, what was the incentive? Well, it was a tough decision because uh, I was an endowed chair, full professor, tenured, for sure, for sure, and right. everything else. And um, it, was, it meant some level of sacrifice. But I've always said also every move I've made professionally has been by divine intervention. Mm. Uh, so for it to come at the time it came, there was a, a higher reason, and maybe I couldn't wrap my head all around it. But when I visited New Haven, it reminded me of parts of New Orleans and Jackson. And mm. so I just said, well, you know, this maybe this is the next calling to come okay. in the vineyard and help till the land and make the place a little better than, you know, make a contribution. Uh, so to me, that's the exciting part is that uh, I have the opportunity to to make a little uh, make a oh. little contribution. We're 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 we're, su we're we're super glad to have you here. Kind of put your expertise in the in in the health plate as we pass it around locally and, glo and globally. So I mean, let's jump a little bit to the Yale School of Medicine Office of Health Equity Research. We hear I've been in New Haven since '71, and Reverend Perry's been in this area for a while, and Reverend Clayton's been in this area for a while. So we hear so many over the years initiatives and new platforms at the that Yale University in particular, the medical school, the hospital, et cetera, are launching out. And sometimes the consumer feels that it's just a, another way of rebranding or keeping Yale's name uh, prominent in, in, in the world. 
but so I'm just curious uh, how, how serious do you think the, I mean, obviously you, you took upon this, this task from a, a very diligent and serious perspective, but talk about the Yale School of Medicine Office of Health Equity Research and why you think it's really, I'll, I'll say seminal and maybe even revolutionary, but certainly impactful. Well, before I took the job and just, you know, uh, talking to uh, individuals, one, I think that Dean Brown is very committed to addressing health disparities and helping achieve uh, health equity. Um, uh, my immediate boss, uh, Dr. Marcella Nunes-Smith, who is the Associate Dean of Health Equity Research, her work goes far beyond. And, you know, so looking mm -hmm. at the people who are involved in the commitment uh, and also realizing the need and the difference that Yale can make, I thought, you know, and strongly believe that uh, we can make a difference. I know there may be other historical reasons why people may have a different opinion, but I'm also of the belief that, you know, if we hold on to the past and don't leverage our past as currency for the future, we're always going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. And so at some point, we have to come to the table and ask the right questions and hold folks accountable. So I believe that, you know, it, it's a new day and we're asking the community to give us a chance. Let's sit down and talk about it. Uh, we may bring in certain tools. They have certain mm -hmm. knowledge mm -hmm. and expertise that together, if we harness all of it together, we'll be able to change the narrative. Uh, I'm, I don't have the quote exactly, but one of the impetus of the Jackson Heart Study was that in uh, 1969, there was an article in Wall Street that said that parts of Mississippi, African-Americans in parts of Mississippi, their health was deteriorating mm -hmm. while it was increasing in the in other parts of the country. 31 years later, there was a scientific article in the circulation that spoke to the same thing. Mm. 31 years, nothing had changed. And so to me, if we keep doing the same thing that we've been doing and we don't change the course of direction, the narrative is not going to change. 20 years from now, we'll be having the same conversation. So I think it's time for us to confront a past but also come to the table today and say, how can we chart a new course mm. um, and and bring about change so that our children and grandchildren would not be having the same narrative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that to me is where I think um, I, I see us making a difference, but we, we can't make it alone. We have, to, it has to happen with community. At the center of health equity is community. They affect it. They mm -hmm. have the lived experience. Mm -hmm. They understand it. And I also look at the, the issues like this, that it's like the coin, right? On one side is the problem. On the other side is the solution. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we stay on the side that says problem mm -hmm. and fail to turn the, to the other side to look for solution. And I always mm -hmm. believe that God would not give us a problem that he's not already provided a solution. Excellent. We just need to just look differently yeah daniel i mean that's in terms of context that's 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 tremendous so kind of kind of give me an idea about the that the, the specific mission and also kind of weave in some of the if you would some of, i mean you're, you're relatively new here so I'll, I'll give you that benefit of the doubt but uh and also what kind of you know some of the programs you're currently working on at the uh, office of 
health equity research. I really love that term, Office of Health Equity Research. So, you know, kind of the mission restatement, perhaps, and then weave in some of the programs that you're working on. So our mission is really to contribute to the achievement of health equity in the state of Mississippi, uh, Connecticut, because Connecticut is the catchment area for mm-hmm. uh, for Yale, but and beyond. So because, you know, the resources and expertise of the Yale faculty and investigators. But we want to also start with the greater New Haven area. Mm. You know, so you always have to start in your backyard. So mm-hmm. even though the goal is to reach the entire state and go beyond, our mission is to initially try to uh, work within the greater New Haven area, improve the conditions, and show that health equity can be achieved. So that's really our mission. But we do that by promoting and supporting uh, Yale investigators in pursuing health equity research. I mean, there are all kinds mm. of research, basic mm-hmm. research, you know, where you're dealing with cells and mice and everything. And we've done great work there. Uh, but we also now want to do things in, in the health equity area whereby people's lives are changed. Yeah, so that's to to us is the mission, um, being Excellent. able to provide that support and promote. And so that's why we we're being in, we're coming in the community, we're engaging the community, uh, we're facilitating dialogue between researchers and the community because each party brings in tons and and rich resources that well harness would would solve a lot of our problems tremendous we're going to you're, you're talking to uh this is the tom ficklin show and dr daniel sarbong is on and reverend elvin clayton and, and reverend leroy perry and before we go to uh uh this term bio repositories which is which is really fascinating i wonder reverend clayton reverend perry if you had, had some thoughts because daniel's laid out some really i think some some uh significant uh, objectives and, and desires. And I just wonder whether if you had any response or, or questions for him. No, well, I have a response, uh, Tom, and that mm-hmm. is uh, what Daniel is doing is basically what the YCCI cultural ambassadors have been seeking to do for the past 13 years, mm-hmm. which is to somehow work within a community that has a historical DNA mistrust of research. And so the problem that Daniel faces is the problem that most uh, researchers uh, have today with regards to underserved population, particularly the black community, is how can we trust you? And and Daniel, so Daniel has a tough task ahead of him, as we know, because the residents of New Haven, the black residents do not trust Yale and they do not trust the research that they're doing historically in terms of um, being, quote, set up as guinea pigs or as being looked at as subjects and rather than participants. So one of the reasons for his being on the show today is to somehow um, bridge that gap and to somehow help uh, those who may have some uh, suspicions or who may have some hesitancy mm-hmm. to this biorepository that they may be able through us and through this show come to some clarity as mm-hmm. that will benefit our community. Excellent. Reverend Clayton. I, I, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with my, my colleague and uh, not only Daniel has a, a, a steep hill to climb, but uh, 
the whole area has a, a large hill to climb because we're still not where we need to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, we're, mm -hmm. we're being, we've been on this road for some 13 years now. And, and we, we see much improvement because of uh, sharing on shows like this through uh, flyers and, and town halls. But the work is not done. We have to keep sharing so that more of our people will be willing to come on board so that the community will benefit mm -hmm. from this great work of biological samples and more. Indeed. Daniel, let's jump in in terms of bi biological samples, biorepositories, and you know, you can explain it in any way that you think is is a third grade level, eighth grade level, PhD level. But it, to me, it's just, uh, can, we, we, you as each individual can also share in some way in terms of their 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 body and their biology for, for the future. So break it down in terms of this, this word biorepository and uh, how people may not be familiar with it and, you know, explain why, what the purpose of it, why it's, why it's uh, con considered to be a next step of, of, of uh, community health. So to, to sort of define biorepository, basically you could look at biorepository like a library where you're mm. storing and managing biospecimen, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and the biospecimens may be the tissues, the blood, the saliva, plasma, DNA, and urine that is collected either when you get clinical care or when you're involved in a research. Mm -hmm. So the, the reason why it's so important for us to participate is because the, the society, uh, uh, the world as a whole is moving into what we call precision medicine or personalized medicine. And so when you have a situation where people are going to look at data and then find people who look like you and tailor your treatment based on that, if your information is not well represented, mm. then the treatment is not going to fit. I have a number of friends who would used to say, I think I'm from Ghana. And then they go and do this DNA and me and all those things. And it <laughs> says they are from the bulk of their genes is from the Congo or Nigeria or something. And they're heartbroken. <laughs> and I said, well, it's because there's not enough Ghanaian DNA in the database. Mm. So they're going to get you an approximation mm -hmm. of where they think you're from. But if the folks that you, who look like you or you belong to are not in the database, they can't link you to that people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's the same way if we don't contribute our biospecimen and they come up with all these models and algorithms and treatment regimens, then when I show up, there's nobody like me in the database. So they're going to give me treatment that approximates what looks like me. And so I'm, I, I like to put it this way. It's like the train is leaving the station and is rolling slowly on the tracks. It's time for us to jump on the train and then be engaged 
to direct the direction of the train because the train is going to leave the station. It's actually starting to leave the station. Mm -hmm. We either get on it and be a part of the decision-making as to where it goes, or we end up just having to settle for what the outcome of the train leaving the station is. So the biorepository is very important. And a classical example which has a lot of controversy, but I think it is important to see the gift of one person, how it's changed the world. And that is Herta Lacks, the healer mm -hmm. cells. Mm -hmm. I mean, through that, we've had vaccines, polio, you know, all kinds of treatment. A gift of a person's cell has changed, has made a difference where yes. we are today. Um, so when I was at the Jackson Art Study, and I would like to describe the participants, I would always say that, you know, the study was like a diamond ring. The participants were the diamonds because they were given of themselves, mm. that richness for us to understand what was going on. But we needed the community because diamonds cannot hold unless you have a band. Mm -hmm. So the community was that silver band or the gold band or whatever platinum band. Mm -hmm. So together, all has to come together for us to, for us to even acknowledge the beauty of that rank. Yes, you know. So people who give of themselves, we have to cherish that, because without that, we won't be where we are. And, and, and Daniel, in terms mm -hmm. of my 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 specimens as a person, sign a form. I, I, you mm -hmm. know, you reference the clinical yeah. trials. Do, do they mm -hmm. do something when they go to their uh, primary care? provider for their visits to kind of what's the way that that we could enter our our our, our, our biological i'll use the term biological love to the to the medical system right so the say if you go and you get care and most times if it's like um um, um a teaching hospital or a research hospital like maybe yale new haven uh when some of your specimen are taken to be able to assess what what the problem is, and they figure out how to provide care for you. Whatever is left behind uh, is stored, right? And in the consent, you can opt out. You know, you can opt out and say, no, I want my, whatever is left to be destroyed, I don't want it to be used. But if you don't opt out, then it would be used. But in most cases, it's de-identified, so they don't know who that specimen belongs to. Their name is not attached to it. And other researchers may ask for it by going through a rigorous protocol. Uh, because of past abuses, there are safeguards now put in place where people cannot just take those specimens and treat it any kind of way. The other one would be to be involved in the clinical trials where your samples are taken, and then some are used to test whatever questions they have to answer them. But mm -hmm. whatever is left is also stored. And the reason why these things are stored is because we know that technology and scientific advancement is happening every day. Yes. So it's certain things we're able to test today, we couldn't test them five years because the knowledge was not available. But if those specimens exist, we can now go back and test those things and be able to answer questions we weren't able to answer yesterday. Mm. And so that's the whole power of, it's like when you finish reading a book, you don't throw it away, you put it on your bookshelf, right? 
because there may come a day you may go back in there and maybe look at something and everything. And I have two great ministers here. They've been preaching with the same Bible, but their message is always different, right? Because the Lord gives them a different revelation as they look at the same scripture. So sometimes we got to go back to these samples and look at it differently with new technology, new methods that have been developed. And we get more insight by even looking at the stuff stored. And so to me, that's the power of the biospecimen. Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, it seems to me that Daniel's passed the mic to you in a, in a very uh, magical and artful way. Would you like to, <laughs> like, to, like to kind of weigh in a little bit on this? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you, Daniel. <laughs> You're welcome. But I, I would like to share that the, the community will benefit greatly if more of us would contribute to uh, this great research project and ongoing research. And, and hopefully that our, our people understand that this will lead to new and, and great dis discoveries in medicine and, and devices to help uh, our community. And, and, and donated samples can help improve uh, the understanding of underlining disease process. So, mm. so it is vital that uh, we share and and use different methods of sharing the method. Mm -hmm. And I, and again, that's what we're doing here today. This is another method that others are not using, um, and and we we share. Uh, Sundays in, in terms of helping our clinical research projects. We, we have uh, programs during the week, invite the community uh, and others so that the, this great work can spread and also is building trust. Mm -hmm. it, it's all, not only trust, but it's, it's building a bridge to uh, other areas where normally we would not be able to do so. So we're, we're grateful to that. Excellent. Yeah. Go ahead, Reverend Perry, mm -hmm, please. Oh, I want to approach this in a, in a different way. And I want to say that um, transparency really helps to build trust. And transparency will help this project and other projects similar to it to become uh, maybe a staple within our community. So I wanna go back to a few things. Number one, the Henrietta Lacks was not a gift, it was taken. And, and, and to be transparent, we need to say that. <laughs> we need to say that Henrietta Lacks never gave consent for them to do what they did with herselves. However, that has been rectified. They have been compensated. And now new procedures have been put in place. And what Daniel is talking about now is that uh, when you opt into this program, you will opt in knowing whether or not your cells may be used uh, in future research. And that's an, mm -hmm. important, that's an important transparency part that we must, that we must evidence for this community. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I want to say that, um, again, with transparency, Charles Drew 
was one who started the first, well, who engaged in the first blood bank in the military. And uh, history tells us that when he was in an accident, he was unable to get a, um, a blood transfusion. And, but the real story is, is that because of segregation, he was not able to go to the white hospital because the ambulance took him immediately to the black hospital. Had he gone to the white hospital, had times been different, then the, the very instrument that he had worked on, he might've gotten better care there. So you just gotta put it in perspective. It's mm -hmm. not that he was, that he couldn't have got it. He, he just, the segregation sent him to one hospital where the other hospital might've been better equipped to give him that blood transfusion. And thirdly, let me, let me say how important this precision medicine that Daniel is talking about and how important it is for these biorepositories. I remember when, um, when the blood was so tainted during the first epidemic of AIDS and even Arthur Ashe got a wrong batch. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was like, where do we, wh what, where is the repository? People were trying to store up their own blood in case they needed this. In stem cell research, and Daniel is so correct in this, in stem cell research, to find a match, you need to find somebody from your region or from where you come from that can give you that uh, that match. And um, I, I, I've worked with the Cancer Center on people who had cancer, who went in for the um, uh, the transplant, bone marrow plants trend and they their family was only a five the wife and the children with this one individual and he finally found somebody from the region where he lived and it, mm. that match was a 10. now what daniel is saying if our repositories are not do not have the information to help us to reach out to individuals who are looking for for example these kinds of transplants we're going to be far behind the eight ball when it comes to um, to survival of, of many of these diseases like leukemia and, and cancer. So Daniel's project is an immense project mm -hmm. and it's an important project because what it does is that it helps, it helps precision medicine work for all of us rather than for some of us. The mistrust and some of the uh, historical um, mishaps I'll call from the past, as he said earlier, should not should not delay us from moving forward in the future of where we are now, because blacks are still disproportionately affected by almost every major illness in America. We've got to step the game up. And that's why we are here today with Daniel, um, our African brother <laughs> and, and, and doctor, and, and brilliant in his own way. And hopefully if we can just convince folk to um, to uh, sign up for these this particular research, mm -hmm. I think it will help our, our community and our nation and this worldwide. So that's my spiel. Excellent. Dr. Sarbong, uh, please. Yes, yes. So I totally agree with Dr. Perry about the issue of transparency. It's very, very important. Um, I think that we need to be able to tell folks when we don't have the answers. 
you know, when I was involved in Louisiana before coming to New Haven with the COVID, we had one of the SEAL projects. I mean, I would flat out tell the community, we don't know the answers, but we'll go figure it out and we'll come back and we'll address it. So I think being truthful and being open and when we don't know the answers, saying we don't, I think it's very important. The reason why we are backing on this biorepository piece is also that uh, currently myself and uh, Sakina, one of my colleagues, we're working on trying to come up with a guidance document, something that the dean has got uh, um, asked for us to come up with, which would then guide researchers at Yale in terms of biorepository. Hmm. So our going to the community and doing their listening sessions is because we want to make sure that whatever we put together has community relevance and a community input. And so that's also one reason why we're doing what we're doing. And your show definitely gives us the platform to be able to answer people's questions. And uh, and even though we started the listening sessions with the biorepository initiative, we intend to continue this because it is important that we're constantly engaged. We may not hear what we, we would want to hear, but it's important that we hear what community has to say. That's so helpful to hear. Uh, Daniel, uh, Saturday's event at the at CONCAT uh, there at the Orchid Cafe, I think you, you heard so many uh, sincere, uh, pointed, and uh, people desirous of answers, transparent answers, as Reverend Perry has mentioned, as well as how they can jump on board this train. And even if, if we have to create our own train. So yes, I look, look forward to these future future efforts. Uh, we've talked somewhat subliminally about race, and I guess wondered, this has been a, a uh, conversation for several generations and decades and the re recording of history about what race is. But I wondered, Daniel, if you had any thoughts about the uh, scientific or, or medical implications of, of race as you kind of walk down this path of, of, of health, freedom, and liberation. So when we look at race, uh, biologically, one would say that race is not a biological construct. It is a so social construct. Mm -hmm. But in in places like the United States, where you have had history of racism and discrimination, race becomes an important factor to look at when you look at medical uh, treatment and the like. And I think Reverend Perry eloquently articulated it when he gave the example uh, with Charles Drew, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the fact is that even with his prominence, he still couldn't get certain uh, care that he could have gotten in a, maybe in a different setting, in a different society. So we cannot discount the role of race because it's a, almost like a proxy for us to be able to look at all those social inequalities when you talk about different races of people. So I think we cannot get away with the issue of race. And now there are a lot of in, in the health equity uh, research space, people are looking at race and other types of uh, segments of the society in terms of sexual orientation, gender differences, 
because all these things we are realizing that there are disparities when you start to look at different segments of the population. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, from a scientific point and from a medical point, race is still going to be important. The only way I think we can stop looking at race is if racism and discrimination goes away. Mm, mm, mm. Daniel, I, and again, Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, just jump in if something crosses your mind. We have 20 or, <clears throat> 20 or so minutes, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe closer to, to uh, 18 minutes. So as the spirit moves you, please let, let's, uh, let's not lose the opportunity for this conversation. Um, Daniel, the next two or three or five years, I mean, it's, it's I always like people that plan for the short term, near term, and long term, and uh, you know let, let's affirm kind of where you see things headed and what what resources you might need. How can people kind of get involved if they want to? They have further questions. Just how do you how do we kind of recruit this the, the, these onward Christian soldiers uh, to kind of begin this march? Well, so in the short term, maybe in the next two years, what I'm hoping to do is that the Office of Health Equity Research. Um, and, and working with like uh, Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, who have been uh, trailblazers with the culture ambassadors and doing extremely significant work. And, you know, the work they did during COVID cannot be, mm -hmm. uh, you know, can we can't put a price tag on. Mm -hmm. uh, we're hoping that collectively we'll be able to work together to really bridge the gap between the university and the community and started maybe in New Haven and then across the state, where that the work we're doing would be meaningful in the way that it impacts um, the community. We're currently through the office, one of the initiatives is called CHIA, and we're blessed to have Reverend Perry sit on the guiding coalition and it's looking at pediatric asthma. Mm -hmm. This particular study and model called CHIA is the Community Health Equity Accelerator. And what we're doing is asking community what is important to you in terms of a health need. Community identified uh, pediatric asthma as a need. Uh, we then assembled a team of uh, broad-based community members uh, who have now formed a, a unit called the Guiding Coalition They've come up with the metrics of what we need to be looking at. What does success look like if with our intervention is going to work? They've also helped us develop an, uh, a multi-level intervention um, because most times people are doing things on a singular level. And we realize that just looking at one piece at a time mm -hmm. is not solving. We have to have a more holistic and comprehensive mm -hmm. look mm -hmm. of the problem. And so they've come up with that. We've gotten uh, two com one community organization and two yield uh, research team members have come together. They put in an RFP, and we're now ready to roll out a pilot study, which would last for a year. If that proves to be successful, we intend to seek external funding to scale this up to a much greater population. Currently, it's only in New Haven, but we intend to do it much more broadly. So that's one initiative. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also looking at working with community members uh, and getting them to serve on expert panels mm -hmm. 
Hmm. You know, because and engaging with researchers and telling researchers what would work and what wouldn't work before they even apply for the grant. Because a lot of times people get the money, hmm. Hmm. but now when it comes to implementation, it doesn't work because the end user was not consulted in the process. So for innovation to be very effective, you have to use the user design approach which means the person who's really going to use this part of the development of the, of the, of the product. And so those are the kinds of things that we're looking to do. Um, we also feel that there's a need uh, to, to bring about some bi-directional training where we can um, work with community-based organizations that are doing significant work in mm. the community uh, to help with, areas where they need help to be able to go out and get more funding to do the kinds of work. Because a lot of them are doing mm -hmm. it on uh, uh, what they call it, um, shoestring budgets. Mm -hmm. So, um, and also helping them also be able to frame their success in a way that it gets attention. Because we know success begets success. Well, if you can't tell your story, nobody's yes. going to hear it. So yes. how did they put tell the story in a way that's compelling to be able to get resources. So these are all programs that the office is committed to doing uh, because we believe that, you know, rising tide flows all boats. So we don't want just to float the yale boat. We want to float <laughs> everybody's boat, right? You know, so that's really what the intent is. And then everybody's happy uh, in a way. Um, so... I'm glad yes. you mentioned the pe the pediatric asthma, and again, right. New Haven is unfortunately on the on the map for our our, our high incidence of that regard. And I'm get, I just reflecting that the uh, town hall meeting you had on Saturday, uh, Daniel, where Sister Journey was there, and right. here's a group that's had a 20, 30 year kind of stellar reputation in terms of breast cancer awareness. So just to hear about your giving and the and sharing of resources and helping to direct people to to do financial uh, uh, support is really so 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 impactful to hear. Uh, Reverend Perry, Reverend Clayton, any, any, yeah, I any... want to say, Tom, that um, uh, I think that we must give uh, kudos and credit to, um, to Marcella Nunes Smith, mm -hmm. who 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 is really working very hard along with another uh, inf another very. Uh, progressive thinking individual, Tisha Johnson Harris, who formed the YCCI group. Because what, what these two phenomenal women have done is more than Yale has done in 30 years in trying to reach into the heart of the community, mm -hmm. hear their heartbeat, to listen to their story, and to bring medicine um, in a collaborative way to those who could participate and have and participate with dignity and some empowerment. And so, you know, like the town hall meetings that uh, that Daniel mentioned, that the Chia meetings, the trying to train individuals from the community to be able to work with researchers, all of these things, these two black phenomenal women have done. And you know, like the Peter Principle, when you got when you when you've done the best you can do, Yale has a way of just discarding you. But I'm hopeful that if 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 Yale is serious, that these initiatives 
and that their uh, equity um, hiring process and thinking process will somehow be embellished by the work that that's already in place mm -hmm. so that we can really, really uh, reap some of the benefits. Because like I said, we started in 2009 or 10, but one of, one of the things that we said was, folk will not always want to go to the university. I mean, you know, even going to the, even going to the emergency room is difficult. And that's where most black people go when they're sick. But I mean, to, to just to get through that means the hours, the waiting, do you have insurance and all of that is just crazy. And even with COVID, we found that the number of hesitancy regarding African-Americans who were, who were impacted was basically due to this one-sided view of you, we, we, got the, we got the cure, so you need to come to us. So what Tisha did was she allowed for all of our churches to set up stations within our community and within our churches so that we could reach the population who really needed this most. And I think mm -hmm. the NIH and the FDA and, and Pfizer and, 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 and Pharma all realized that we need to look at a new metrics in terms of how we do research in the future. Mm, absolutely. R Reverend Clayton? Thank you, Tom. Also, I want to just add just a little bit to these comments. Um, Yale has begun to listen to the community, but we also have to, once we've listened and, and used the information that we have received from uh, our community members, we need to go back and share the data and share the benefits mm -hmm. with, with our people who have, who have given of themselves to help this process. So, so um, thus far, it's, it's been an a, a informative session, but let us remember as these people are coming on board, uh, the Black, the Asian, uh, the, the Latinx uh, are coming on board and, and becoming a part of clinical research. And whatever information uh, have been gathered, whether uh, ideas or, or specimens, there, there ought to be some benefits for the community. One of the one of the things that has been troubling to me is that that a lot of our people may take part in a clinical research or trial and they cannot afford uh, uh, the medicine. So we got to make sure that we not only receive information and data, but also help those that were part of these these uh, studies. Good good point. And I, Tom, let me just say this as a Please. follow of what Reverend Clayton is trying to um, to say here. And, and that is one of the things that YCCI, our cultural ambassadors discovered early on in our studies was that when people do participate in the research studies, they don't get the information uh, back as to the success or failures in that particular study. Our answer 
from the institution was that these studies sometimes take three, five, seven, and 10 years. So by the time you get ready to give the information back, the people that who need the information may not even be around. So what one of the things that we've done was that we've we have instituted a news journal, mm, good, uh, good. YCCI uh, newsletter that reaches our community and our community partners where we can give them an update as to many of the outcomes and to the, and to the research that is being done now. And I think that is that is excellent, admirable things that we're being able to do through Yale uh, with this collaborative uh, partnership that we have. Excellent. We have about five more minutes, gentlemen. So as, as things kind of cross your mind or spirit kind of work, works on your soul, kind of kind of share. Dr. Sar- Sarbong, I see, yeah, I, see, I, I, see, I see your brain ticket. <laughs> I see your brain ticket. Well, I, I think the other piece is that I think also, too, is that we don't have to wait for the research to come to completion before we give back to the community. There are other ways that we can give back to the community. So we can go back to the community and educate them on how to best manage your blood pressure, mm-hmm. your diabetes, give mm-hmm. them that knowledge, which mm-hmm. is still giving back. You know, everything may not be monetary. And if there are some discoveries that came from a certain segment, you may not be able to give everybody a check, but at least you could maybe have scholarships. So I, I think we just have to think out of the box in terms of how we give back Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's very important. Uh, one of the things we're doing is creating what we call lay summaries, where we're asking people, when you write your scientific paper that's going to go into the big journals, write a lay version of it that mm-hmm. we can give to the community mm-hmm. so they can learn from what came out as a result of that study. Mm-hmm. I had a young lady who said, I want to come in and talk, I was in Louisiana then, and talk about recruiting for cancer. I said, before you talk to the, before I set anything up, I want you to tell folks what other, the past studies and how that has benefited, and then talk about the new study, and then try to recruit. Because then you're trying to give people the knowledge of what the eye involvement may lead to. Mm-hmm. So I think there's different ways that we can be innovative in in trying to give back. Um, and and that, to me, I think it's really important. Um, you know, giving scholarship to kids from disadvantaged communities or uh, working on policies that could change the disparities mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, medication affordability. I mean, we have sometimes the data to show why we need to do things different. So we have to work. I I think we're not being innovative enough. That's all. Uh, Let me say this, uh, Reverend um, and and Dr. Daniel. (laughs) It's not a question of giving back, you know, because that to me is almost paternalistic to give back. We're not looking for you to give back. We're looking for you to be equitable. We want you to give us the same opportunities that you give other people. And I think that's where the cultural ambassadors and we are working for. It's not somebody giving us something like they like they owe us something. We're not saying that. We're saying we just want what everybody else has been given in terms of an opportunity. 
And, and unless you're talking about reparations, Daniel, and I could go on about some reparations, because yes, when it comes to giving back, let's talk about reparations. But I think what we're talking about now is how do we equitably achieve the same opportunities that will bring about better health equity and outcomes for all of us. And in, to, in order to do that, we have to look at the social determinants of health and the barriers that have been there in the past. And those barriers, many of them are still there today. How do we eradicate those barriers and make, a, make an equal playing field? And I think that's what Marcella's job has been. And that's what Tisha has been doing. And that's what I think you're doing and we're doing um, right now. Now, the other thing I just want to say, because I know we're running out of time, you didn't tell mm -hmm. them how they can, how they can uh, opt into your repository study. Is there a number? Is there a person to call? Well, I think generally it's part of the, uh, currently the opt-out version, it's really in the consent when they go to the, uh, to the hospital, to the Yale New Haven Health Systems. Uh, part of their consent has the opt-out version in there. And what we want to do is have people be aware of, you know, because sometimes people don't see, you know, the print or whatever, people don't see it. So uh, that's the whole thing. But I think we can come back with a follow-up. Um, part of what we're trying to do is to educate ourselves and folks, share the information in terms of why biorepository, uh, it's important. The other way they get it is if they involve in a clinical trial and then they have to read the consent and everything else and to make sure that they do understand the consent. So the issue today wasn't necessarily to push for calling a number and enrolling, but more of giving information. And then at least, you know, we can come back with some future and very specific, but the most important thing is people should ask questions. Hmm. People should get their questions answered. Uh, and then they can make the decision for themselves what is right for them. We have about 30 seconds. And hmm. Reverend, should we give Daniel kind of the, the, the last word or do you want to kind of chip in on anything? Basically, Daniel, you, you I heard you say we got to do another show when we have more, uh, the next follow-up. And I'm, I'm more than willing, you know, God willing, if I'm available to kind of do that. So... Uh, Daniel, we have like 30 seconds. You'd like to kind of share any last words? Well, first, I want to thank uh, Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton um, and yourself for organizing this uh, show and giving us the opportunity as the Office of Health Equity Research at Yale uh, to come and share with you all what we're, we're doing and what we're hoping to achieve and also to at least pick folks' interest in terms of asking questions and coming on board with us so that together we can change the narrative uh, in terms of health equity um, in, in our communities. So thank you so much. And um, I'm here to serve. So looking forward to engaging. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Reverend Perry. Thank you, Reverend Clayton. Good to see you guys. Okay, bye. Onward.
Onward, Christian soldiers. I just got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'm gonna roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you stressing, but you're gonna be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. Cause this is my road, let's camera action, I'm ready to go I'm never gonna give up, give up, fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Yeah, this is my road, let's camera action, I'm ready to go Way too long, we faced them storms, now you gon' face the dawn you waited for I said from night to dawn, I write my wrongs alone In competition with warnings, ice galore being a quitter, but little, little by little, they joking, telling some riddles. Now I'm in my section, ain't willing to give up. Though you getting knocked down, but you gotta get up. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. Cause this is my road, let's camera action, I'm ready to go. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah.